This is the Uptake Podcast with your host, John Taylor. Oh, I should ask you, do you want me to refer to you in this as Mary or Mary or just my friend Mary? Mary's fine. Just Mary. Leave your name out of it. Okay. Take that out. Please don't play that. It's fine because this should be fun. There yeah. should be no downside to this for you. <laughs> I know. I know. No one's gonna. No one's gonna know it's me. So you won't say my last name. I won't. There's so many Marys in the world. Let, Who's gonna figure that out? Let's make up another last name. <clears throat> Ready? Go. New last name. Your last name is Boutine. Boutine. Is that a real name? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? I don't know. It's just. <laughs> Somebody's name. I thought that was the French fries with gravy on it. B-O-U-T-I-N. Oh, no, that's poutine. Poutine. You're going with boutine. Boutine. (laughs) (laughs) I just picked that out of the air. And you also added a little flavor to it. Boutine. Boutine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'll introduce you. I can do a Southern pretty well now. I'll introduce you as my friend Mary Boutine. (laughs) Boutine. (laughs) Well, there's probably somebody with that name. Yeah, you. So <laughs> that's you now. Oh. Now we're gonna pull these. We're gonna pull this off if we don't say that's really you. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. This is. <laughs> <laughs> what possessed you to say boutine? It, it's a name that. Okay. You. The truth is, there's somebody that works at a <laughs> whose last name is that, and the first time I saw it, I was like, "What is that, Boten?" Bootin, and then somebody else on the radio had that name, and they said Boutine, and I'm like, oh, that's how you pronounce that name, and I'm like, I'm going to have to remember that now when I see it. It's Boutine, which sounds a lot better than Boten right. or Bootin. Do you think the person boutine. that you know <clears throat> there that has that last name- Pronounces it that way? Is going to hear this? No. Okay, good. Absolutely not. <laughs> Of course they wouldn't. Why would I even ask that question? But I, <laughs> why would they ever hear this? I like I like the name actually. I think that'd be a cool last name to have. Mm-hmm. Well, you have the power to change it. Boutine. Uh huh. I can't. Can't you? I? Absolutely can. Why not? Why not? Indeed. I'm going to set this going here, just so we know how long we're into it before we have to take our commercial break. Okay. That's not a joke. We have to okay. Take a commercial break. Alrighty. None of this is a joke. It's all very serious. Thanks for being here, Mary. Sure. Glad to be. This is my friend, Mary Boutine, (laughs) (laughs) which may or may not be her actual last name. name. (laughs) Uh, Mary and I have been friends for a long time since we met in a childbirth class. I wasn't learning how to have a child. I was there supporting my wife who's having a child, and Mary, you were there. And so our daughters, 22 years ago, Mm -hmm. that's the reason we know each other. Yes. Right? I have that right. We didn't. That was it. That's how we started to know each other. Yeah. That feels like a lifetime ago, right? 22 years. Yep. Here we are. Bond is there. I know. How about that? Mm -hmm. That's funny how life works. It is. Like what, you know, 
just we chose that class on that evening and well we both were having daughters at the same time right too. i mean yeah what chances are that well the chances of me having one are probably zero but <laughs> that's yep. the chances yep. your chances were 100 i don't know Mine were zero it was great it worked out great both our daughters were healthy yeah that's right we've been talking about having this conversation and you have an idea for something to talk about which i think yeah. is pretty cool um what would you like to talk about well, I'm an amateur psychologist mm -hmm. because I took psychology in college, yes. so I know a lot about it. <laughs> but I'm really fascinated by things that come up in the news or studies that people, you know, it's like a 10-minute news item on some study that shows this, you know, that bluefish don't mate with redfish or whatever it is. And I just think that... It's fascinating how we take those things and just latch on to them if we feel like it's something that helps us, I don't know, weigh something that's wrong with us and make it better or yeah, something like make that. make sense of the world. Make sense of the world and the things that aren't fair. And so, okay, like... So these would be, what you're saying is something that's not true? Well, it hasn't, it might have a bit of truth. Okay. In certain circumstances. But we take it as true lock stock and barrel and then we uh we tend base... to simplify the research to make our own truths out of it okay like okay so when i was growing up and mm -hmm. i don't know about you but i heard that we only use 10 percent of our brains okay did you hear that oh yeah that's not true that's not true we only use one percent of our brain. There, there's, there's no research that says we only use ten percent of we, our brain. We have no idea how much of our brain. Some, but no, we don't. Maybe some people use a hundred percent, and some people use ten percent. I don't know, but I do know that we. I mean, I thought, oh my gosh, what could we do if we had ninety percent more? We could like levitate. Mm -hmm. or we could we had esp we know what people were thinking <laughs> we could see through closed doors why would we be able to levitate if we were smarter 90 percent of our very smart yeah brains. but you mean like i could just float off the ground no yeah. equipment needed I, I that's what i well i was like you know i was like 10 when i was thinking <laughs> oh, okay, about right. these things yeah so. sure <laughs> but now i read that there's been really there's the there's no data to no empirical evidence on that. So, so we don't know what percentage of the brain we use, or we, or we actually. I think we use all of our brain. That makes personally. sense. Personally, and if you and people say, you know, oh, right brain, left brain, mm -hmm. and that is stuff that's been taken too far too. I think because language isn't on just one side of your brain; it crosses paths depending on what you're doing with your language. Like mm -hmm. if you're trying to think of something, doing some critical thinking, or if you're interpreting, you may use different. So all the brain is being used, I believe. It but isn't it true that there's <clears throat> different, I mean, you're using, you know, a lot of things you're talking about or thinking about in life, you're using different parts of your brain, but those yes. parts do different things. Yes, right? yes, So there That's is true. a, like, a logic-oriented half of your brain and then a more language and communication but, oriented but at the time you're thinking you're do, using logic you're also using the other half sure yeah so it's like people are right-handed or left-handed and you're really only using one hand at once mm -hmm. to do something and that makes sense yep but it's not like your whole right hand side of your brain is 
working and your left is just sitting there doing nothing because people say, I'm I'm a right-brained person. Yep. And they get the idea that they're not using their left brain at all. I mean, it's kind of it's simplifying the mm-hmm. the con- the um, concept. Yeah. So this would be what we're talking about are examples of misconceptions. Like that's the yeah. idea, right? It's, these are yeah. These or are just you know, these not... are things that have some truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And but we are taking them either too far or or misapplying them. May, yes. For convenience or for or just to, to reinforce make, our biases or something. Yeah. To, to reinforce our biases, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of, you know, we don't realize how biased we are, what we really are. Yep. And I'm then not, I'm just to make sense. You speak for yourself. Uh-huh. I know. Make sense of, you know, something that's not fair. Yeah. So. Well, what's another example of that? Okay. So what came to my my thoughts about this i read an article in psychology today so i have to give this guy credit his name is matt houston okay and he wrote this article about myths mm-hmm. that we believe okay and he he's broadly speaking he said yeah there's research on these things but we take them too far sure um houston by the way is a family nine so i'm probably related to him so i'm allowed to talk about his article probably okay okay so Birth order. Maybe. So you're Mary Houston Boutine. Mary Houston Boutine. I love it. That's my new name. That is a good name. Um, I really want to believe birth order like makes a difference in our personalities and how it, you know, shapes us and molds us. And I can say in a classroom when I was a teacher, are you an only child? I I wouldn't say that. I said, do you have any brothers or sisters? (laughs) Wow. Good icebreaker. No, I'm an only child. I know. Or I actually had a class once. I was like, okay, raise your hand if you're the oldest. And a bunch of kids raised their hands. Yeah. And it and there was this seemingly group of kids who really wanted to know the directions. They they always wanted me to clarify things, and they were very conscientious to the point where I'm like, just relax, just do it whatever way you want to do it. But they were. To me, in my naivete, older oldest children who re- really were wanted to get, they were very mm-hmm. high achievers. They wanted to get it exactly right. They didn't want to misinterpret the directions. And mm-hmm. and I'm kind of a loosey goosey, you know, younger child. So I was like, eh, whatever. So you're when you say birth order, that's just what it means, right? So the kinds of things people talk about: you're a middle child, yes. or you're obviously the youngest because you get away with everything, or mm-hmm. those kinds. And of you're things. spoiled, sure, right? And your oldest youngest. child, you you're more reliable, yeah. and you are more conscientious, and you're the one everybody goes to when they need yeah. help. And that sounds right to me. That's not does. right. Well, there's no empirical data about it, and they've okay. done some studies. And they don't see any significant, like you can't say, ah, yes, youngest children children demonstrate these behaviors, whereas oldest children demonstrate these. And they said, you know, this Matt who was writing about it, um, we're on first, you know. Well, as an amateur psychologist, a reader of psychology Mm -hmm. today, of course you would. Those are the circles circles you travel in. He said, you know, (laughs) a lot of times we're judging people at the same time. And yet you can't judge an 18-year-old oldest child to an 8-year-old youngest child. Of course, 
the eight-year-old is going to seem immature mm -hmm. and not as conscientious. So um, that could be our misconceptions on that and that. Well, you hear it all the time. We but do people, hear it all the time. I, so, you know, it seems to me that there would be, it would hold up in a lot of cases because of family dynamics, especially in a, a shared culture, right? Like in the United States, typically, you know, families range in size, whatever the average used to be, two and a half kids, whatever mm -hmm. that number was, you know, so yeah. So you'd have, uh, you know, an oldest child and they'd usually have one, maybe two younger siblings. And they were always asked for help because they were in a position to help. They didn't have, there wasn't an older, yeah, older all kid. that makes sense, them. but there's no evidence when you study the kids, huh. the, the adults, right? Yeah, yeah. Whether there's a true, they 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 truly have those traits that you identify as oldest, right? Yeah, or or they don't. Yep. Okay. So the data doesn't support it. It's just the perception we have. Or yeah. A misconception, maybe. Um, I'm, I still believe it, though. I don't care about the data. Yeah, I 100% believe it. But I, I, I data schmeda. <laughs> <laughs> I am always going to believe in birth order. Well, and I, I, I was fascinated with it because I'm a youngest child of, of a lot. Yeah. And you can't remember. And so is Jen. There's so many. And <laughs> that's a lot of kids. But I'm, I was also by myself for six years with, with my parents. So yeah, in some yeah. ways, I was an only child. Yep. So there's like this people who do these, you know, kind of like mini studies or, or interpretations of the, there's, there's one on somebody who was the youngest and only and how they can, they can cross over to those two personality types. I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. I know it is. Yeah. No. Well, there's so many variables. I mean, that's a great example, right? Like yep. youngest child, but for how long by themselves at home or mm -hmm. youngest child of eight versus youngest of two. I can mm -hmm. see those being very different life experiences. Mm -hmm. And then there was like, Let's say you have four ch children, but only one of them is a boy. Yeah. That's kind of an only child right. syndrome there too sometimes. Yeah. Or vice versa, girls. Yeah. I mean, I can remember. Like Jen, she's an only girl, only child. Ish. Ish. Yeah, except for all the brothers. <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, she was unique in her household. Unique, right. Right. I, when I was growing up, um, so I have an older sister, and the two of us um, hung out a lot as kids because the neighborhood we were in didn't have other kids our age. I think they did. We had like one or two other kids kind of within walking distance, you know, back mm -hmm. in the days when you would go outside and walk places. So we had to figure out a lot of things to do on our own. We'd make up team sports games for just the two of us. We'd play kickball mm -hmm. with each of us had a whole team of ghost people. You know, you have a ghost man, right? You have to fill in if you're a kid and you need one more player. So you didn't have them and you just make somebody up and there was this, you know, a phantom running around the field. So we would do that with the entire team, right? So I'd have a team of six, seven, eight people. My sister would. And that's an example of the two of us as a unit um, were probably different than a pair of siblings yes, that were around in, a bunch of other right, kids anyway. Right. So our dynamics were different. Right. So I, the point I'm making is that kind of study would have to take into account so many variables. Right. And I was, I was five and a half years younger than the one, you know, above me. Yeah. And we played games sometimes where he always won. Um, and 
other than that, I played with my friends and he had his friends. It wasn't like, it wasn't like you and your sister yeah. where we would go out and, and try to figure out things. And that was, that never happened. Yeah. So um, besides the games where he always won, um, we did not really play together. And I had the kind of neighborhood where you could just go out and there was tons of kids and we played kickball on the street and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a dynamic. You didn't really have to do this. Someone would have to set up the study. Yeah. You need look a at lot of subjects and a lot of data. But I still believe it. So. I still believe it. I don't know why we'd spend the time and money doing that then because it's just true. It's just true. <laughs> I don't care what. <laughs> what's his name? Mr. Anderson? Matt. Matt. Mr. Matt. Matt Houston. Matt Houston. That's right. Mm-hmm. I don't care what Mr. Houston says about that. <laughs> I think he's wrong. <laughs> There's no data to prove it. My though. life is easier if I There's could just no... generalize the oh, hell out of things. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I like to do it kind of like I like to mix up, um, you know, sayings, just for fun. Okay. To see if people will notice. Such but I, as... I like to. Um, I can't think of anything right now because I'm put on the spot. But you know, you you, you can't judge a car by its color. You know, I'll say mm, something like that, sure, and people yeah. will be like, "Is that That's not quite right?" right. And I'm like, well, it sounds right to me. And um, so, yeah, so I'm going to believe this even though there's no no, no data. Okay. What um, else you got? Okay, the second one that I thought was interesting, <laughs> the 10,000 rule. What's the 10,000 okay, rule? Okay, so. Just for those who don't know what that is. The, I think, okay, what Matt tells me, and I did hear about this from, from other, um, other things I've read too. There was a researcher at FSU who did a study on violin students in like 1990-something and said, asked them to self-report how many hours. And the violin students were in three tiers, like the best and then the middle and then not not the best. Mm -hmm. And um, on average, the ones in the first tier had practiced up to that point over 10,000 hours. Okay. And so he kind of... um, coined that Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of practice now he will tell you now and he goes that's it not that's simplifying it Mm -hmm. it's how you practice it's whether you have you know a good coach how early did you start and there's so many factors in that how you become professional and, and competent in this a sport or musician or you know any of those a language something it, like that where i guess this took off maybe this is the misconception you're thinking about is i remember the 10,000 hour thing from the it's a malcolm gladwell yes. book right where he's it's talking a, about you know uh the outliers the outliers yeah. and so that 10,000 hours was like the magic number yes it became the magic number i think he used that term yeah if you get to that point whatever you're doing so yeah. violin and, or, and I, I told my kids when they were playing yeah. soccer i'm like just if you want to get better you have to do 10,000 hours of yeah. practice the point matt is making is that that's not really the main issue it's the quality and other um, circumstances right. it, well simplifying that that and i i actually got to hear gladwell speak twice and i love what he has to say and there's so much really cool things about how to be productive and how to be you know perform better and things like that i'm very fascinated in that but um it's simplifying it to say well if you just do ten thousand hours of you know violin practice and from your suzuki book you're going to be awesome you know you're going to be a professional violinist turns out talent and general intelligence actually has a lot to do with 
mm-hmm. how far you can get in something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a useful misconception, right, as a motivator. It is. Because I would doubt that um, most like, people that are really trying to perform at something are literally keeping track, you know, by the hour. Oh, I'm at hour 2,152. I got my, you know, I got my countdown going. Yeah. I'm almost and there. Works. And then I'm going to be awesome. And so there obviously is some truth, again, yeah. to practice and you get better. Of course. So, yeah. But then, you know, it's not. It's just an Not oversimplification. It is an oversimplification. But I think that's too, it's funny too how the 10,000 steps thing came from the, like, I don't know, it was 1960s or 70s or something. And the pedometers, remember those? We used to get them in McDonald's and stuff. Yeah. What, what's the 10,000 step thing? They just made that up. 10,000 steps are what you need per day hmm. to stay healthy. Okay. So if you can get, put your pedometer on, you get 10,000 steps, it will be healthy. You make you healthy. That's yeah. what you need. Ten thousand. You'll live until tomorrow. Well, now, <laughs> good job. They've done some research, and and for like older women, just the increase of no steps to two thousand steps makes a big difference. Oh, of course, yeah. Or like seven thousand steps, and if you right. do more than that, you're not going to be be more healthier. Yeah. So just using ten thousand as a as a number. Yeah. Right. But it's not necessarily the golden number. Yeah. And so. The most interesting part of that to me was that you said they gave pedometers out at McDonald's. Yes, and Happy Meals. And you could put (laughs) put it on your jeans Uh and walk and count your steps. On your pleated jeans? On your pleated jeans. Your stonewashed Jordashes? I think I had those. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And you'd put on a McDonald's pedometer to walk off some of that Happy Meal? Yeah. I think this was probably more in the 80s, 90s when this was happening. Yeah. And I think. McDonald's was starting to think, hmm, maybe these people are eating too many French fries. We need to do something about this. I think they weren't thinking that. I think they were thinking, man, eat all the fries, buy them up. I, I think they're but thinking, how do we steps. stay out of trouble with the authorities? <laughs> well. <laughs> it's like today them giving out, you know, a, a cholesterol test <laughs> with your a number four meal that you buy at McDonald's. <laughs> Did you re- watch that movie? No, I haven't seen this. There's this, a documentary. The guy that ate McDonald's, yeah. right? For... You should watch it. It's pretty it interesting. It sounds like I'm going to get sick watching it. It does make you a little nauseous mm-hmm. because he's not feeling well. Go figure. He eats McDonald's for 30 days. <laughs> and if they say, would you like to supersize it? He has to supersize it. Mm-hmm. And he tries to eat everything off the menu. Yeah. Which he gets to. I that think. just sounds so bad. So, it does, but why does it sound bad? I don't know. Because it just—I mean, maybe you know—as a kid, you can eat that stuff. I think all the time, and it don't feel bad. But now, oof, you don't really feel good. No. after you have whatever from there, like in the moment, oh, it tastes pretty good. And a half an hour later, I think I made a mistake. <laughs> so for that for how long? Sixty days? Ninety days? How long? I think he did it for thirty days. I yeah. Thought. And his he gained weight and his oh, sure. cholesterol went up and his blood pressure went up and yeah maybe it was longer I don't remember because I watched that movie a long time ago mm-hmm. but he got that's a movie made so that's cool he did he did a couple of them yeah they're pretty interesting he's a good movie maker I think you I think you could do a, a podcast on some of the things he's done actually yeah we could try that oh yeah. we did that huh we could try that you, yeah. we got to both eat McDonald's for thirty days no. Right? <laughs> 
No, 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 I can't. <laughs> I can't even eat Chick-fil-A for 30 days, although I do like Chick-fil-A. Sure. <laughs> no, now I'm starting to make my stomach hurt just thinking about See? it. See? <sighs> it's not good. I don't think I can make it through two days. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. What other misconceptions do you have uh, or that you've heard about? You may not suffer these, but. Well, the other two that I thought were really interesting was people have said, and I've heard this lately, that there's a depression gene. So, and that again is simplifying hereditary because there is no, they haven't found a gene yet. Yeah. That links, like there's a gene marker for eye color and there's a gene marker for um, curly hair, Mm -hmm. straight hair, right? Yeah, sure. But there's not one that they can pinpoint and look at and say, depression, that person is more likely to have the depression gene. Okay. But because there's things that run in families, people kind of want to latch on to that and think, well, it's not... It's not something that can be helped, you know. You have the depression gene, right? Yeah. And alcoholism is is one that I think you can see in families. The one where you drink alcohol and immediately you that you can see the pattern. You can see a not, pattern. There's not a there's not a genetic marker for that. Is that no? I don't think yeah. so. I mean, there is. I mean, I think there is obviously everything about you and your propensity to have depression could be a factor of genetics. I mean, genetics could factor in. Yeah. But also your experiences. Oh, sure. And, um, you know, how you you live and Mm -hmm. where you live and what happened to you. So, um, I mean, I think that's, it's good and bad to not be able to know whether you have more propensity to have schizophrenia or depression or anxiety or whatever. Yeah. That's passed down. But you're saying people perceive that there is this thing, well, yeah, this depression beca- gene. Because and- you, you, there's just, it's just a story, you know, yeah. like so and so. And I think, like, I think there are ones that you can say, I mean, I think schizophrenia, there is a genetic marker in some subgroup of Northern Europeans. Have you ever heard that? I have not. Yeah, I haven't heard that. A males. Okay. And it, it, it's onset in their early 20s. Huh. Yeah. And there's just a higher propensity. So it's like, you know, logic tells you that there's some sort of genetic code in there that happens mm-hmm. or makes it more viable, yep. more, more apt to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's just our desire to simplify things, right? You want to find an answer for yeah. things, especially like that. Yes, you do. Because, yeah, that's the kind of issue where you'd you'd love to find not just the answer to why it happens, but then presumptively there's a an easier answer to how to cure it or stop it or early detection, whatever. You know, we we kind of want those things to be mm-hmm. just that simple. When of course we're the super complicated machine. Yeah, and super genetics complicated, is super complicated. You know, cocktail running through our bodies, and it just may be that it's the kind of thing we're not going to figure out with a yes or no kind of. Um, answer right it's this whole combination of certain genes and birth cer- order birth order thank you <laughs> uh so the combination of your genetics and your your upbringing and all kinds of factors right right, and, right. Uh, it is the combination of those right things. so it's, it's very even, hard to be able to find a reason for some things we, again it's easier i think for a lot of people especially me i know i suffer from this 
the desire to easily categorize yes. things, yes. put things in their own containers and go, okay, mm-hmm. if we have this situation, here's the reason. And it can be grouped this way. Mm-hmm. And, and um, unknowns are scary. That's right. Of we, course. Like, we like to have everything in our boxes. Yeah, that's right. Let's pause for just a second so we can pass along some messages from our sponsors. That's okay. Absolutely. Okay. First, I want to thank Sanderson Microphones. You've heard me talk about Sanderson before. They're the makers of the best looking mics out there. Already known for their outstanding appearance and below average sound, Sanderson is now proud to launch their line of Narcissist Live personal microphones for the person who wants to record every part of their day to post online for the world to hear. This new series of mics is just as beautiful as full-size Sanderson microphones, but portable enough to have on your person at all times. And unlike those tired old clip-on lapel mics, the Narcissus Live series are mounted on a convenient face bracket, so everyone can see that you've not only invested in the best-looking personal microphone, you're also not afraid to put on a show everywhere you go. So get started today with a new Narcissus Live only from Sanderson Microphones. And by Chunkies. Tired of socks that tell everyone you're too soft? Chunky socks are made with sustainable, organic, reclaimed construction rubble. Every pair of Chunky socks pummel your feet and toughen your spirit. So tell all those millennial marshmallows to step aside. You're walking tall in the world's most brutal socks. Chunkies, real discomfort for real Americans. Find Chunkies in Home Depot, Dan Mitchell's, or now in Whole Foods. And then finally, Welcome to our newest sponsor, Home Hand Delivery. With the Home Hand app, having something you need from across the house delivered in moments is always available. If you need a glass of water, that paper you left by the front door, the remote, or even one of your kids, but don't have time to get up and get it, with just two taps on the Home Hand app, a friendly Home Hand associate will bring it to you using Home Hand's patented in home GPS and messaging technology. You can even track your delivery's progress inside your house or apartment. Download Home Hand today to truly make your home life as convenient and effort-free as the rest of your life. All right, Mary, why don't we um, take a step back for a second? You sure. mentioned that you have a background in teaching. Mm-hmm. So, um, what what uh, level of teaching were you doing? What kind of teaching were you High doing? High school. Yeah. English, German. Mm-hmm. High school, English and German. Yeah. What now people you... know who I am because there aren't very many Marys that did that. Oh, sure. There's <sighs> probably just a few dozen okay. Mary Boutines out there. Mary Boutine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, what did you enjoy more between the your teaching English class or German? Um, well, they're very different. Um, when you say you're a teacher, I think it really depends on what subject you teach is to, to how what your day looks like yeah and so i love teaching english and not so much like the grammar and all that stuff but i loved getting people excited getting kids excited about literature you know and and especially teaching the ninth graders and we got to do kind of an introduction to to real literature and all that and i could see them getting excited about it and I, we used to do Romeo and Juliet. So it was the first kind of experience they had with Shakespeare. And Shakespeare, you know, it's not easy. Yeah. But it was, you can make it fun. Yeah. You know, and then I had them memorize portions of it. 
and I would on the on the test they take I would have like a part of part of the act or whatever and I'll say explain what's happening here and that that way I knew that they were listening and that they got it and for at least one thing I know they knew their Romeo and Juliet story and then at the end I would show the video of the movie yeah and I would see them mouthing along, mm. and, and that was so cool that yeah. they they knew that much of this. And they're just they're just average Joes, yeah. you know. And they were very um, excited by I think learning something that other people maybe didn't know, and mm-hmm. that was fun. And just I think literature in general is a lot of fun to teach yeah but it's hard because then we also had you know writing requirements and teaching them how to write and analyze and have a thesis and have things to back up their thesis and have some sort of conclusion have it all make sense and you have 30 of them and you're trying to get them all on the same page with all that so there's a lot of saturdays you spend with papers in your lap yeah so it was a very high lots of hours yeah um outside of the regular work week yep um and and just reading and just trying to figure out what what's going to be the next thing that you introduce them to because you can't i mean there was always the classics but then there had to be something to excite them that was new too Mm -hmm. so you know just finding what you were going to do how you were going to approach the next year or whatever outside of the the core curriculum so and then German was fun, but you're teaching them rudimentary, different language. Some people are just more gifted with hearing, I think, and picking up a language than others. Yeah. So some people could hear it and speak it like right away. Yeah. Even though, even if they didn't know what they were saying, they, they could speak it. And others just like... I don't. I know what you said. Um, maybe I can understand what the word you're saying, but I can't. Re- I can't reproduce that with my mouth. Yeah. Well, they they seem like very different. The two types of education that you discussed, mm-hmm. the the you know engaging with um, Shakespeare mm-hmm. and having the students really kind of appreciate it, right? So mm-hmm. that at the end of that course, when they saw the video, they were like you said, they're mouthing along. That feels like a more engaged almost creative higher level of education mm-hmm. i don't want to say higher level of education higher level of thinking like a mm-hmm. different kind of processing whereas i can imagine teaching german that's much more building blocks you're mm-hmm. all right let's just try to put these things together so that, that you can communicate right. it's much more mechanical you're starting from scratch you're you know, not alphabet and yeah. then numbers and pronouns and trying to yeah it's just fit the pieces together yep. whereas with the the uh, literature it's much more like all right you you know how the pieces fit together let's make mm-hmm. meaning out of them yeah because that seems i would I imagine that's a big difference in it was a big difference gratification and the teaching style yeah. and yeah. and I, I mean i think i got gratification out of both definitely yeah and i had a lot of fun with my german students because it wasn't so intense you know yeah. and we had more fun um and i i always been both teaching english and german i brought out paper and markers and scissors and things a lot because I feel like some people really need that physical touch mm-hmm. uh, to kind of combine with me- their brain and memorizing things. And German teaching German is a lot of memorization, really. Yeah, right. Um, otherwise, if you don't remember the vocabulary, you're not ever gonna be able to 
to reproduce that. Yeah. And even if you were, you're not really gifted in, in learning languages. So, um, but that, that was fun. You know, we just, we had, a, I think we had good time for the most part. I mean, there were bad days too. Yeah. And this was ninth graders? Um, ninth through 12th. Yeah. So I, ninth grader English mostly, I would say. And then German, they would be ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th yeah. graders. And that's, it's funny just to, um, see the difference in that group. You yeah. Know? You'd have ninth and 12th graders in the same class. N- not generally. No. So there'd be ninth grader in, in German, there'd be ninth and 10th graders in German one and maybe mm-hmm. a couple 11th graders. Yeah. And then the German two would be 10th graders and 11th graders with a couple seniors. Yeah. Well, in high school, like those couple years, even 10th to 12th or 9th that's to 11th, big, that's it's big a difference. big difference. It right? really You're is. teaching yeah. different kinds of people. You are. Yep. You know? yep. Yep. And then there's something called senioritis and that's real. Yeah. That's real. Yep. I don't there's, think there's any medicine for it. There is a genetic marker for it, though. <laughs> Probably. Come from a long line of people Someone should with do a research project on senioritis. <laughs> so you can pretty much write them off after December. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going to really work for you. Did you find that in teaching, you know, the idea that we were discussing today of misconceptions uh, about things, that that was a challenge, that you were fighting those in the in the subject matter at all or was it eh, this is all pretty by the book and we don't have a problem with you know um having to un have kids unlearn things right it's different than learning you know paving new um uh sort of blazing a new trail it's different if you have to unteach some stuff that they come in with like their own misconceptions about oh well shakespeare is um uh, not relevant today or it's a thing you mm-hmm. got to memorize and there's no there's nothing here for me or um i don't know german but i have misconceptions about that language that it's <laughs> sort of attacking violent language i don't know why that's ridiculous but that it feels very like a like a you think of french or italian there's these beautiful, beautiful language like floral music is in the other language. You don't think that's pretty? But it's not John? in German music is different, I guess. <laughs> I'm imagining, you know, a glockenspiel and a I don't know, what's another German instrument? Glockenspiel. <laughs> right? Like people would come into your classes with these misconceptions. You'd have to uh, unlearn yes, them. Yes. You know? Yeah. People I think that one of the misconceptions with um foreign language was that there's a one-to-one equivalent for each English word. Yeah. Right. So once you learn, I don't know, table, what the word was for table, then you could just say, there's the table. Yeah. But, you know, languages, each language is built slightly differently. So there's a lot more you have to learn than just words. You have to figure out just because the word is you in English in a thousand different places, there's a lot more words for you or yours in, you know, in German. So, yeah. So the German translation and, of there's the table would be something like, I'm going to come take that table from you. <laughs> yeah. That's what it sounds like. Against your will. Der Tisch. <laughs> das ist der Tisch. What's the worst? You, you were doing a little bit of research about these misconceptions. Did you mm-hmm. identify with any like, man, here's one I've held. And it's, well, I, held, I had no idea. I hold, I pretty much held all of them, yeah. Yeah. Every single one that, that Matt mentioned. But um, you can, but I had heard, you know, I'd already, you know, I read this stuff all the time, not just in psychology today, but, you know. <laughs> as you do, as an amateur psychologist. Off the internet and the Facebooks, the Facebooks <laughs> and stuff. No, but I, I do, I 
to just find that stuff fascinating. So I gravitate towards, probably get fed it by Google, right? Yeah. So, of course, some of them I had known that, you know, like the, the 10,000 hours I'd heard that was kind of debunked about. Not not that, that like I said, I don't want to say anything bad about um, Mr. Gladwell. Mr. Gladwell, because his, I just I just love him to yeah, death. He's a big old smarty And guys. I don't think he means to simplify it either. It's people who take it yeah. and simplify it, you know. Right. So that's the misconception, not the presentation of the idea, but the way it's yeah, applied. Yeah, absolutely. And not yeah. not... The FSU, you know, researcher, I think his name was Erickson, his last name, but um, that well, his his research was fascinating, yeah. you know, and but it, it's but you you can't you can't take research like that and then, you know, just say well that's the answer and and yeah, that's it, ten thousand hours and you're an, you're an expert. Yeah, well, so. that maybe the common thread for all of that is just um, our need to oversimplify things. Mm-hmm. That we deal with things at a surface level and latch on to a simple concept well, and then yes. apply it, right? Yes. Instead of really wanting to engage the deeper material, yes. you know, well, the nuances of something. Right. Just, hey, here's the thing, you know, oldest kids are this way. And we have our own confirmation biases, yeah, right? Right. And that kind of brings me to the last part. Oh, okay. Here we go. Is what are things about human behavior that have been held up by research over and over again and that's one of them is that you really want to believe things that you already believe to be true and so in research um that can be a problem because if you you're more apt to see something happen in the way that you expect it to happen Mm -hmm. than not yeah confirmation bias right right yeah right and we do it all the time, like you said, in our daily <clears throat> daily life. Like not even researchers, but yeah, I believe this person's going to be a jerk. Right. That's so anything they do, that's my I'm I'm associating it that way. Right. I'm not giving them a chance, let's say, or right. you know, whatever it might be. Like I can see it aside from research. It's just human and nature. And I think the older that we get, the more we are we just expect things to be a certain way and it's harder for us to I don't know counteract that by challenging our own beliefs Mm, unless that's a misconception oh my goodness we need okay well i'm just saying you may not you think that it's harder as you get older but maybe maybe it's it's not not. and you have confirmation and and actually maybe it is easier as we get older i see a lot of older people going wait that's not what i believe I'm changing I my something opinions. else. <laughs> I've been wrong all these years. Yeah. Of course I would change my mind now. Yeah. <laughs> it's much easier. Oh, yeah. The, there was an, a guy that I read, um, Brian Nosek, and he, he's uh, the Center for Open Science, where you look at something and you don't have previous expectations of how the research is going to come out. Well, that's hard to do, right? Because we have this confirmation bias going on. That's right. And we are all built of all, all of our experiences and, and yeah. our expectations and things. But to really step back from that and say, huh, I'm willing to get something I'm not looking for. And that's that's what makes a, a scientist good, I think. Yeah. Um, and groupthink. Like when people get together and then they all agree. Yep. And then it's true. And it becomes even truer because more people agree. Yeah. I have a colleague that I work with. Um, I'm in a meeting, meetings with her occasionally. We're going over something, a plan for what we're going to do. And she always, she will we'll, we'll like have it all figured out. And she'll say, yeah, but what about 
blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, but we already have it figured out. But then I'm thinking, I am so glad to have her in these meetings so I can actually go, wait, maybe that would be a problem with this plan. Yeah. That one little thing. It's almost like she looks for things Mm -hmm. that may be a problem. Like, I don't know if that's just her talent because different people have talents, but I think that is a talent. Yeah. Is to go, okay, they these nice people that I work with all the time have laid this wonderful plan out on the table for me. What could be wrong with it? Let yeah, me try to find advocate. Let me try to find like poke a hole in it. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, maybe what what she brings up isn't a problem. Or maybe it's something that we go, ah, didn't think of that and we can fix it. Or maybe it's like, oh shoot, we have to start over because this really blows our plan. Right. So but that's valuable in the devil's it's advocate a, position. It is valuable. It's the reason to have a team of people, right? Always can a come up with better results. A team of people who are different. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's another topic, you know, about oh, diversity yeah. instead of always having the same people yep. around the table all the time. We just live in an echo chamber, right? Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Yeah, we all agree. Yeah. Well, I just, it's actually not dangerous. I don't agree. Yeah. That's where you no, should say agree. it's not, it's, it's not, not dangerous. dangerous to be it's, in an echo it's, chamber. It's super that's what you should do. I know. No, I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I tapped your computer. I hope that didn't ruin your sound. Did that turn it off? No, it's all good. I'm working with Sanderson microphones here. They're nothing but the best. Sanderson is the best. Yeah. Hey. Uh, very quality. Mary, thank you for doing this oh, with me. Yeah, it was fun. I really and appreciate it. And I think we had a good chat. I think I've talked more today than with you than I have in 22 years. Well, this is a good reason to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But thank you for thank you for doing it for yeah. your thoughts in advance and uh, for coming and spending the time. It was fun to do it. The uptake was brought to you by our sponsors: Sanderson Microphones, Home Hand, and Chunkies. Thanks again to Mary for being here, and thanks to Kevin McLeod for the music in today's podcast. And thanks everyone out there for listening. Let's talk about something else real quick. Okay. That's 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 more fun. <laughs> that's <laughs> most. Think of it. Let me think right that's now. almost everything. <laughs> almost yeah, everything. Almost everything. <laughs> Although I like ways. Oh, it's great. I think the only people that are going to have to really know that stuff anymore are going to be like pilots and sailors. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else is going to be a numbskull. All right. Here's a question for you. What would happen? This is a serious question. I've given it some thought. What would happen if tomorrow morning Zuckerberg got up and said, you know what? I just don't want to do this business anymore. Hey, everybody, I'm shutting Facebook down tomorrow. Because it's a private company. You can do what he wants. He doesn't have to keep providing this service. Mm -hmm. Do you think there'd be riots, like actual riots, people burning couches? and? I think there'd be tears. Yeah. I think there'd be lots of tears. And what about our stuff? Right. But I have my business set up there. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. That's how I get people to come to my shows or uh-huh. whatnot. Right. There's a lot going my on. My whole there. photo album is on there. Yeah. I like to go there to, you know, see see my life from 2008 on. Right. But that's all. They're yeah. not, it's not a utility. Like, I think people think of it like yes. electricity. <laughs> Right. Like, I got a right to this. How dare they? 
right. if they wanted to stop it or change it? People would yeah. get real mad. Yeah. But it's a free service that mm-hmm. that company just does for money. Mm-hmm. They might not want to anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I doubt that, obviously. And there would be eventually people would fill the void because that's the free market. Mm-hmm. But I think for a few months there, there'd be a lot of really mad people. I think there'd be a little a riot, a riot or two. And I think the economy would take a hit. <clears throat> like the global economy would, would suffer if Facebook was shut down, you know, in 24 hours. It might. Yeah, like because you said. Because there's so much reliance on it for people's businesses, mm-hmm. for small businesses, especially, yeah. I think. Yep. Even big ones. Mm-hmm. You know, cross-country team, flag football team. I'm all, I still get those notifications on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So you're saying the world economy would take a hit because of the flag football team? No, I'm just saying that everybody uses it. <laughs> Who? I mean, would you imagine that you would go on a an app to find out? where the meat was going to be what you, that's that is what we're doing yeah that's what right. I, yeah. I know but i like how 20, did we 20 years ago how did we do it yeah. how did we do it i think we got a piece of paper at the beginning of the season and then when things didn't go right <laughs> because it had to be moved there was like this phone tree so everybody had to call one other person or something people had to set that up or something yeah or there was a meeting like oh every month we have a meeting yeah so then we're gonna we hand go out some more some papers maybe things yeah mm-hmm. So. Randy couldn't make the meeting, so somebody take this paper to him. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, take it to his house. Yeah. God forbid we had to remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a, a game I'll sometimes play with people I know, especially at work, um, but sometimes at home, is the, you know, all those times in life where you try to remember something? As a like as a, a group, like you're hanging out with your friend or whatever. And you're like, and you, who was in that movie? Who was the, yeah. when, who was the lead singer right. for the Stone Roses? Yeah. I don't, who was that lady? And yeah. then you know, you just ten seconds up. later, you just Google it. But it's a fun game to say, all right, nobody Google nothing. Let's try to use our brains, and we're gonna feel so much better if somebody <laughs> comes up with it of our own volition, right? And it may take yeah. days. Like, oh, I just remembered. Mm-hmm. You know. I think that's gratifying. I think a lot of people I talk to find it annoying. I'll just look it up. It is <laughs> gratifying. This is hard. I and mean, I was trying to think of that. It's similar. I was talking about the movie to Greg today about, uh, is it Eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, What's Eating what's Gilbert Grape? What's Eating Grape? Gilbert Grape? Yeah. And I said, did you see that movie? Because we were talking about this boy um, who looked like Leonardo DiCaprio when he was that age. Yeah. And I said, oh, that's a really great movie. And he goes... Is it like, and he, he mentioned another movie, I can't remember um, what movie it was. It's not the same. I said, no, no. I said, it was it was a good movie. You, you would like this one. <clears throat> and I uh, told him the gist of it. But I said, and I had that other guy, you know, the one who's the pirate and, <laughs> and Edward Scissor's hands, but he's he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't really have scissor hands. I know, but in this in this <laughs> movie, he was just a normal guy with none of those fantastic things. Mm-hmm. And he's not a crazy guy who owns a chocolate factory. And of course, he's <laughs> Who's that guy. He said it right away, but it, yeah. I was like, uh, "Am I going to have to Google this because I can't remember the guy's name?" So yeah, we're losing our ability to remember anything because we don't have to. I know, like our medium term memory. Mm-hmm. Who needs that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Johnny Depp, by the way. I know it's Johnny Depp. That's because Greg told me and I didn't have to look it up. You can even track your delivery's progress inside your house or apartment. Download Home Hap. <laughs> Home Hap. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's a different product.